Let us pray. Dear Jesus, be with us now. Open our ears and our hearts and minds to receive your word. And bless those in attendance here and those who could not make it today. In your name we pray, amen. When it comes to these things, cell phones, there's a notable difference in the way the greatest generation and the baby boomers use them compared to generation Y and Z. All right? Let me explain. <laughs> For these past 14 years now, I've attended probably close to 40 conferences and conventions of the church. And it happens every time. Uh, older gentleman, a colleague of mine, will his cell phone will go off right in the middle of the speaker's presentation, right? And of course, he's got to have the volume turned all the way up so that he can hear the phone, right? But he forgets to turn it off during the presentation at the conference. So this is what happens. You know, we're sitting there, you know, 60 to 100 of us in the convention center or whatever, listening to a presentation. A phone goes off. Does my colleague turn it off? No, he answers it. Hello? Hello? And he'll get up, start walking out. I'm in the middle of a conference. The younger generation, they got all that stuff turned off. Their phones don't make a sound, right? And they're usually looking at it. They don't want you to know what they're looking at. They've got, they know how to turn off all the bells and whistles. Big difference, huh? I'm Generation X, so, you know, I kind of fall in between. <laughs> I know how to turn off all the bells and whistles, but at the same time, I can, you know, you know how it goes. We could go on for hours, contrasting the ways in which we think and live our lives across the generations. A recent study by Pew Research, however, shows baby boomers and Gen Z are a lot alike. Not now, not currently, but baby boomers, when you were between 16 and 28 years of age, you thought and acted a lot like Generation Z people today. Aside from the technology part, of course. <laughs> a prime example is the popular myth that all or most baby boomers opposed the Vietnam War. Not the case, according to Pew's research. In the same manner, the research shows that not all of Generation Z is on board with mainstream society's values. So it makes distinguishing our uh, one generation as wiser over another a little more complicated. Jesus has something to say about the young and the old. More specifically, little children and the wise and understanding. On the day when he had instructed his 12 disciples to go out into the cities and bring people the good news of peace and restoration with God, Jesus went out on his own into some towns to talk to people himself alone. And after speaking to some crowds for a while, he asked them, well, Actually, it's more, Matthew doesn't, you know, explain in detail, but if you read the context of what's going on in this text today, what happens before and after, 
it's as if Jesus is trying to talk and work with these people and just reaches a part where he just throws up his arms and says, what shall I compare you people to? What generation shall I compare you to? You are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to your playmates, we played happy music for you on, you know, some little instrument or something. We played happy music for you and you didn't dance. We played sad music for you and you didn't cry. In other words, you guys just don't like anything about me and John the Baptist. You're not satisfied with John, the one who came before me baptizing, and you're not satisfied with me, the one he said was coming into the world. Then Jesus begins to condemn the towns where he had done some miracles, yet the people there didn't believe. Jesus was often critical of the people of his generation, and I don't think we meditate on that enough. Some churches today paint Jesus as this figure who loves and accepts everything, would never say anything critical towards people today. Would they miss out on the real Jesus? Or maybe they don't want to know Jesus as he really is. It can be uncomfortable to know that your God may not agree with and approve of everything you think and do. But getting to our gospel text for today, after Jesus does all this, he then goes into a conversation with his father saying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. What things? Hidden what? What things is he talking about? Everything he has said up to this point. Father, you have hidden everything I've said, hidden all your wisdom from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. For such was your gracious will. Well, that statement doesn't seem to go along with conventional wisdom, does it? I mean, aren't the wise and understanding people of the world the best ones to receive the news that the Messiah has come and he is here among us? teaching us how to get right with God and get to heaven? The wise and understanding people will be best at processing this information. They'll bring to bear all their experience and worldly knowledge they've gained through all their years in this world onto the gospel and live it out and make it grow and make it more effective. Little children aren't going to get it. They don't know how to process and articulate theological systems and complex thought structures. Don't we know already Jesus doesn't go along with conventional wisdom? That's the whole point here. Remember when I was talking a few weeks ago about typing anything into Google and getting an answer? Okay, type into Google, what does Matthew 11 verse 25 mean? This is the top answer. It says, Jesus is basically saying that only those who are childlike can encounter God. This is because those who are childlike are free from bias. Children free from bias. Some of you have raised children. What a bunch of baloney, huh? I mean, 
children are the most biased people. You know, they judge things very unfairly, sometimes based on just the way something looks or the way a person looks or the way something smells or sounds. Anyway, Google goes on to say, those who are childlike are ready to depend on others. So often it is ourselves, specifically our pride, that prevents us from knowing God. Well, there may be some truth to that. Google's top answer to the meaning of our text today doesn't consider the deeper understanding that Christians have taken from these words for 2,000 years. Well, what does Google know anyways? It's just a robot, right? It's a search engine. But all the faithful believers who have gone before us the world over, generation after generation, have understood Jesus to mean that our knowledge of being saved from sin, death, and the devil doesn't come from years of experience living in this world. It doesn't come from scientific research or literature. It doesn't come from poetry or music or art. It doesn't come from philosophy or academia. It comes from the Holy Spirit who creates faith in a person through the word of God, the scriptures, your Bible. Jesus calls his followers little ones, not because they're childlike and non-judgmental, but because they depend on wisdom from God. They're willing to sit at his feet, hear, learn, take it in, and then live it out. Christians, since the beginning, have known that those considered to be wise by strictly human standards believe the word of God is nonsense. Take, for example, Carl Sagan, one of the world's leading cosmologists. Even after his death, his legacy lives on in lectures and videos. Very intelligent man, soaked and marinated for decades in, a, in, in astronomy, physics, Biology, philosophy, anthropology, he pulled all those disciplines together to understand the meaning of life. He was less biased than a child in many ways because of his academic discipline. He was open to all kinds of concepts and ways of thinking except for God. He wouldn't accept that. Yet he accepted the possibility of alien life and alien visitations to Earth by spacecraft, which is unscientific. Well, by human standards. So go figure. You know, but one doesn't have to be a cosmologist uh, steeped with so much human wisdom to not believe. Lots of people won't believe on account of one or two roadblocks. I've heard some of them, and so have you in your experience. I'll never forget one I heard from a neighbor. She said, I can't believe in God because apes are just too much like us. Really, I said, that's why you can't believe? It doesn't occur to you that God could create a diverse world of living creatures which display all kinds of behaviors and characteristics for his pleasure and ours? Huh, I'll have to think about that, she said. Well, at least she thought about it. 
There's lots to think about. Not just in this text today, but in general. Often as I'm preparing for these occasions when I speak to you, I think about stuff. I think about what's going on in my life, my wife and my son's lives. I think about you and the life of the church. There's lots to think about. Especially when you've been in the same church for so long, you start to notice the changes over time. Now, I've only been here 14 years and I've noticed change. I can only imagine how some of you who've been your, here your whole life think and feel about it. People come and go. Pastors come and go. Ministries and people's pet projects come and go. Leadership styles change as, uh, with generational change. How we carry out the ministry of the church changes to adjust with the changes of society and so on and so forth. God's gracious will hasn't changed, though, in that he gives grace to those who have a low estimate of their own importance, and he opposes those who have an excessively high opinion of themselves. The thing hidden from the wise and understanding is God's gracious plan of rescue from sin and death. The people of Jesus' generation, by and large, rejected him because they preferred to live under the, the heavy yoke of the law of Moses as the way of being right with God. Their human conventional wisdom got the better of them. Martin Luther called it, called that Madam Wiseacre, right? Madam Wiseacre is the voice in your, in your heart and mind, uh, apart from the spirit that tells you, I know better. I know better than God. I'll do it. I'll do it my way. Madam Wiseacre. Well, Jesus grieved over those who had the greatest opportunity to hear his words and live, but stubbornly refused to believe and turn to him for salvation. He rejoices, however, over those who trust and follow him as his little child. This text for us is to take to heart as well. We have been blessed to drink often the water of life, his word, and partake in his supper for the forgiveness of our sin. Every generation today, whether you're the greatest generation, Generation Z, or the one that even hasn't been named yet, has the opportunity to receive God's loving grace as his little children, trusting in his wisdom first and foremost above all things. So may it continue to be so for you all your days. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.